G'day folks, this is Cameron. Just a quick editor's message for this episode of the Napoleon Podcast. Unfortunately, had some technical issues to do with uh, upgrades to Skype and recording software freaking out at the upgrade, which rendered David's audio slightly slowed down, whilst my audio was fine. So over several weeks of uh, endless fidgeting about, I've got it as good as I can. Now, David still sounds slightly warped down from time to time, but hopefully the majority of the podcast is extremely listenable, although probably not up to our usual standard. I apologize. Technical issues are some things that uh, just tend to happen with podcasting. Uh, So I hope you will forgive me for the slight discrepancy And on with the show. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to 2008 on the Napoleon Bonaparte podcast and episode 35 of our little series here. Welcome to 2008. Happy New Year and happy birthday for uh, several weeks ago now. My good friend, Jay David Markham. Did you have a good birthday, sir? Well, I did, uh, Cameron, and thank, thank you very much uh, for the kind words that you put on the uh, website and for your kind words now. Uh, my, my wife uh, and I had a little family celebration in Madison, Wisconsin. Uh, I was celebrating my 62nd uh, birthday, and she was celebrating her birthday, uh, and uh, we had the family there, and, and that was uh, a very good time was had by all. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's, it's not something we necessarily like to celebrate, but, uh, you know, it always, you know, growing old is a bummer, but it always beats the alternative is what I say. <laughs> and you've outlived Napoleon by uh, well, a good decade now almost, haven't you? Well, I've, I've certainly outlived him. Uh, uh, of course, 200 years ago, uh, medical uh, care wasn't uh, what it is, and and particularly if you're being poisoned. So, uh, <laughs> you know, I have certain advantages. I've outlived both my parents as well, uh, who, who died very young. Uh, but uh, you know, I'm I'm hanging in there pretty good, as uh, as you hopefully can tell. Although today, I must say, we're 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 doing this show much much earlier in the day, and so. I've been forced to change medication to a a, a type uh, that's that's more appropriate to the fact that it's not even two o'clock in the afternoon my time, and uh, it's from the same island uh, as my normal uh, medication, uh, but it's put up by by some British nobleman named uh, Earl Grey. Uh, it's it's not nearly as interesting as the Scottish medication, but you know if, what are you going to do? If you uh, are drinking uh, Earl Grey tea, you're going to you know upset all of those theories about how uh, anti-Anglo we are on this show. Well, the you know I've never claimed to be anti-Anglo. Uh, <laughs> I've left that for you. True, uh, I'm always the one who cops the flack. So listen, um, let's get on with it because, as you know, I I, I have to get out of here today. Uh, and we uh, we left Napoleon at the end of 2007, uh, leaving the battlefield of uh, Waterloo in Belgium, uh, uh, having been, well, I guess defeated 
um, is one way of looking at it. You don't like to call the Russia a, a retreat. You like to call it a strategic withdrawal. What, what do you like to call Waterloo? Is there a politically correct term for Waterloo in Napoleonic historian circles? Well, I, I think uh, he, he clearly was defeated. Uh, whether he lost the battle or, or whether Wellington or, or Blucher won the battle and, and why the thing turned out as it did, the, the French clearly were leaving. Uh, it's a little bit more difficult to call it a strategic withdrawal, although to some extent it was. <clears throat> we'll talk a little bit about uh, uh, Marshal Grouchy, uh, with his 30,000 men, uh, they in fact make uh, precisely a strategic withdrawal and in very good order uh, without any kind of real difficulty. Uh, but the, the rest of the French army, the French army that, that was at Waterloo with Napoleon, really uh, did not leave in good order, uh, at least not initially. Uh, there, was, there was chaos. There's just no other really uh, good word to... Uh, to describe uh, what's going on. <clears throat> they, were, they were routed from the field of battle and were being pursued, not, not quite so much by the British uh, as, as by the Prussians. Now, the Prussians were somewhat more rested uh, and uh, uh, it was easier for them to at least initially uh, do the pursuit. And the Prussian cavalry had a, 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 a vitriol hatred of, of virtually all the French. Uh, Marshal uh, Blucher, Field Marshal Blucher, uh, would have uh, shot Napoleon on sight if he possibly could have. Uh, and so it was pretty clear that the, the, the French needed to get out of uh, uh, the area as quickly as they could. And so initially, at least, it really was uh, something... Uh, of, of, of a route. Uh, Waterloo was not just a defeat. We, we always have to, to, to recognize this. The question is not who won or who lost. The, the question is just how bad was it. And, and it's very difficult to, to overstate it. it. It was, in a word, a disaster. Uh, the French army was retreating in an incredible uh, amount of disorder. Soldiers were were literally running to save their lives. <clears throat> Initially, at least, there was very little effort to regroup or to organize the resistance. Only, only the old guard uh, under uh, General uh, Cambron uh, managed to maintain some kind of order and, and, and indeed uh, covered Napoleon's uh, withdrawal from, from the field. And, and Napoleon... At one point, and this, by the way, will will answer uh, one of the questions we had on, on, on our website. Napoleon initially makes an effort to, to have them stand against the, the Prussians who were coming on rather quickly. Uh, and there's a lot of feeling that, that perhaps Napoleon, realizing at that time that all was lost, uh, wanted to die uh, with his old guard. Uh, on, on the, the field of Waterloo or, or just off the field of Waterloo. Uh, Marshal Soult uh, prevents this from happening, convinces him that, that he needs to, to, to leave, and, and Napoleon, along with the rest of the army, 
uh, and uh, moves uh, south toward toward Paris. So, can I can I just stop you there for a second? This whole idea of uh, dying on the battlefield with his old guard, I, I guess, is I find that in some ways difficult to comprehend from a modern perspective. Did, can you explain, you know, why you think he had that instinct? Is is this about glory? Is this about uh, what's what's what is someone's motivation for wanting to die on a battlefield with his old guard? Well, I think that's part of the ethos of of a professional soldier. Uh, you know, dying on the field of battle is much less humiliating than than say being captured. Uh, and and I think Napoleon also recognized that. If the Prussians captured him, there was a very good chance that he would be summarily executed uh, up against a wall. Uh, no soldier, I mean, no one at all, and certainly no soldier wants to have that kind of an inglorious end. He certainly didn't want to be captured and, and thrown into some kind of a prison. One of the British uh, hulks, for example, might, might conceivably have been his fate. Uh, if you if you look at those kind of alternatives in the heat of battle with the the crushing emotional uh, realization that you, everything you thought was going to go your way remember napoleon was convinced with with some reasonable justification that that he was going to win this this battle of waterloo and and force some kind of a rapprochement with the allies his whole world has collapsed upon him, and his fate, at least for a short period of time there, really looks grim. And so, you know, get that to this ethos that I mentioned of, of a soldier wanting to, to die with his boots on. Uh, an idea, by the way, that was, you know, carried into the American West and, and, and and, 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 you know, can be seen all through history. No one wants to die ingloriously uh, if they're in the military or if they fight for, for a living. And certainly no one wants to go to prison or, or, or the ultimate indignity in, in, in some respects is to be simply executed by the Prussians of all people. Uh, but Napoleon, so, one of the things I admire about Napoleon was his resilience. You know, I would have expected him, as you know, some accounts uh, are of him post Waterloo. He arrives back in Paris and he's full of plans. Okay, here's what we're going to do. He he was rebounding and always thinking of new plans and new strategies for counterattacking. Would do you think was this defeat just uh, too too large? Well, you're you're jumping ahead a little bit, and we have to really. Again, I remind our listeners, we're talking about just for a few moments after this horrendous defeat. You are quite correct, and we'll get to that momentarily. Napoleon gets over it and begins to make an effort to see what can be salvaged from the situation. So we're talking, uh, I believe, about a very, very brief moment of despondency when everything seems lost and we've all been through that on a much much smaller scale you know suddenly everything just seems to have gone wrong and how in the world can we can we make something of this 
And then, and I guess we've already we already covered just before the abdication, the first abdication, how he uh, tried to commit suicide, tried to poison himself. That's right. And 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 think about that. I mean, here here again is this moment of despondency, from which he recovers, and from which he then goes on to make plans, to to have what he at least I think initially believes is going to be possibly a nice uh, exile on a, a sunny island. Uh, and and then while he's there, he, he busies himself doing this, that, and the other thing and ultimately decides to, to roll the die one more time and, and try to come back. Obviously, he had recovered from his despondency. <clears throat> and you'll, you'll see that to a certain extent, he will recover from this despondency as well. Uh, and and we'll, we're going to talk about that next. I do want to point out, though, sort of looking at it long range from this moment forward, from immediately after Waterloo forward, that I don't think he ever completely regains his composure. I don't think he ever completely recovers from the devastating defeat. I remember he, it wasn't just that he was outmaneuvered and, you know, let's say like an Alau that instead of being the one to, to hold the field, uh, he was the one who had to leave the field, but he left it in good order and, and could go fight again, you know, a few months later. It was a rout. It was chaos. Soldiers were running every which way. Units had completely disintegrated. Uh, nothing had gone right at the end. So this is, this is not something that Napoleon has ever had to deal with. It's far, far worse, for example, than, than, than Russia. You, know, you, you, you made that comparison of the strategic withdrawal from Russia. But there he had not been defeated at all. Uh, he had been stymied in his effort to force a peace from Emperor Alexander, uh, but he had not and been... And lost uh, hundreds of thousands of men in the retreat. Well, oh, oh not the retreat. He lost huge numbers of men, but at the beginning when he makes plans to leave Moscow and to go back. There's, there's no route, there's no chaos. Uh, there's a lot of greed and gluttony as soldiers are grabbing everything they can carry and, and that comes back to bite them in the butt. But it's not the same thing that we have here at Waterloo. At Waterloo- so there's, the, there's the psychological impact of this, you're saying, where you know he's been completely routed, probably for the first time in, in a 20-year uh, military career. Well, it's like I just said, he's never had to experience this, uh, but it's not just the psychological impact of having been defeated or even having been routed. It's also the physical reality that his army, except for some units of the guard, is in no shape to do anything. They are all running south, and Napoleon finally decides all he can do is is to run south with them, uh, particularly when he realizes that that uh, you know some elements, not very many, but some elements of the Prussian army uh, are are pursuing uh, uh, him from from the battlefield of Waterloo, and and Napoleon, once he is dissuaded from making this valiant last stand. Uh, you know, is is recognizes he has to get out of town in a hurry. Now, the the Prussians can only do so much. The the Prussians uh, uh, it can only extend their lines of supply uh, a certain distance. 
they, they, they aren't a, a huge force at this point. Many of the Prussian, uh, uh, much of the Prussian army doesn't come until later in the game. Uh, so uh, the Prussians are always afraid over the next hill there might have been some reserves that they didn't know about uh, ready to give battle. So the Prussians can't just pursue pell-mell after the initial uh, pursuit. They have to be a little circumspect as well, but they are coming against the, 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 the retreating French, and, and the French uh, are, are leaving, and both sides understand the lesson of 1814 that you mentioned just a moment ago. And that lesson, of course, is whoever gets to Paris first is, is in a much, much stronger position. Uh, the Allies got to Paris first, you'll recall, in 1814, uh, when Napoleon arrived a few hours too late. Uh, this time, Napoleon, once he decides he's going to, you know, try to keep, try to carry on, Napoleon is determined to get to Paris first. So by late in the evening, uh, he gets to the Belgian farm of Kailu, uh, uh, and 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 then you know head, continues to head south. He's got his brother Jerome with him. He's got Marshal Soult, got Generals Bertrand, uh, Drouot, Flehau, Labidoyer, General Gorgon, uh, and uh, you know they they continue to go. And by early in the morning of the 19th, I don't recall what time, probably shortly after midnight, they've uh, they're in the, the Belgian town of uh, Genappe, uh, and there were lots and lots and lots of French soldiers there. That was sort of a a rallying point for French soldiers, but nobody had taken charge before Napoleon got there to organize a defense of the city. Now, had there been a, a defense organized, it's conceivable that Napoleon could have used that as a base for stopping the onrushing Prussians, reorganizing the army, waiting for Grouchy to appear uh, from wherever the heck he was, from Napoleon's point of view, uh, and 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 maybe then even turn on the presumably extended uh, Prussians and and get some kind of a small victory to to turn things around psychologically. Uh, but nothing's been done. Napoleon stays there for a while. Uh, but but begins to quickly realize that that that's not going to work. In fact, it's very difficult to even move. There's so many people in the streets, you know, not just the infantry, but you've got all these cavalrymen, you've got the artillery, you've got various uh, uh, caissons of, of, of various sizes. They're all jammed in there. Uh, one of the bridges, or the bridge, I think, is only one bridge, you know, it was partially blocked because some, some of the things have overturned. Uh, there's a lot of uh, pif uh, 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 pillaging going on. A lot of these uh, supply uh, things have been, have been opened up and people have, you know, gotten their uh, hands on the stuff. And the Prussians are very, very close. And, in fact, Napoleon barely gets out of town before, in fact, the town is, is under attack. Uh, and, uh, you know, it, it took him an hour to get, to get through all of that. He, he finally actually has to abandon his carriage, uh, in, including, you know, the, some of the diamonds that, that Pauline had put into cushions in the carriage and, and so forth, uh, get onto a horse and, 
and uh, move along because the, the Prussians are, 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 are really, you know, very, very close and there's, there's a few bullets, you know, coming through the air, et cetera, et cetera. So some of his staff grabs as, as much as they can of his, his uh, clothes and so on, but he gets uh, onto a horse. He's got a few cavalrymen uh, and they, they head on down through Quatre Bras, which to some extent must have been very much like going back through Borodino on the Russian thing. Uh, you remember when we talked about Borodino, the, 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 the dead were still there. They, nothing had been done with them. Uh, they at least were frozen and, and presumably you know, not, not you know, completely horrid. Uh, here, as he goes through Catabra, there's, there's thousands of dead that haven't been buried, and they're not frozen, of course. This is, after all, you know, June. Uh, so, you know, it was, it was a pretty grim, you know, kind of thing. And the Prussians are still coming. Uh, he, he crosses the, the Sambre River at Charleroi around 5 o'clock in the morning. And at Charleroi, he finds the same chaos and confusion. Uh, and food has been ransacked. The treasury wagon has been pillaged. I mean, there's just, you know, all sorts of amazing uh, uh, things. You can read the memoirs of, of some of the people who are, who are with him on this. And, and it's just amazing. Uh, frankly, it's amazing he ever got to Paris. Uh, but... In the meantime, we get, we get a few more people, including Marshal Bertrand, uh, uh, show up. Uh, and and uh, Napoleon is able to, to at least uh, uh, rest at, at Charleroi for, for a little while, a very, very necessary rest. And, and, it, and he begins to think again of trying to rally the troops. Uh, he figures, and I think rightfully, that the sight of his hat, you know, up on the horse will will rally uh, some of these panicked soldiers who by now have run far enough that number one they're, the soldiers are tired and, and number two they, they may have some increased sense of security that they've outrun the Prussians and they might be willing to be reorganized and and they are after all professional soldiers they, they may be willing to uh, to to put up some kind of, uh, of resistance but Napoleon has problems that he has to think about. Uh, one of the, this is the time that he begins to be torn between staying with his soldiers and going to Paris to deal with the political situation. Because Napoleon understands more than probably anyone else with him that he, he's got a really difficult choice to make. Part of him, and certainly many of his advisors, including his brothers, would say, stay with the army. They're your best security. With the French army around you, no one can touch you. You can organize a defense of the fatherland along the northern border. Use the outposts that were there. Uh, use the, the, the rivers. Uh, the the, the Prussians by now are going to be so strung out that they will be easily defeated uh, and pushed back, and France will will have been spared an invasion of foreign forces, and the country will rally to your cause. On the other hand, 
there's people back in Paris, and Napoleon knows this all too well, you know, uh, Joseph uh, Fouché and others, who may very well take advantage of Napoleon's defeat and his absence and turn the government and the people of Paris uh, against him. So Napoleon has to start to think about which is the, the best approach to take. Shall we go to Paris and deal with the political situation? Shall we stay here, rally the soldiers? And of course, by rallying the soldiers, that would be sending a message, you know, to a political message to Paris uh, as, as well. At any rate, the Prussians are still coming. And, and it's still not really possible. The Prussians are coming. The Prussians, the Prussians yes, are coming. Exactly. I mean, you, you hear that a lot, but, but you know, uh, General Gneisenau, uh, uh talks about the pr Prussian pursuit. He says it was a regular hunt, a hunt by moonlight. Uh, and, 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 you know, they, they, it, was, it was easy pickings. You, you couldn't go wrong. Now, ironically, there were only around 4,000 Prussians pursuing somewhere between 30 and 40,000 retreating French soldiers. So with any kind of, of, of organization, you know, if, if you organized even 15,000, half or less, into some kind of a fighting force, they could have overwhelmed and destroyed the, the, the Prussians in pursuit, uh, but it was not possible. Uh, so, so 6 o'clock in the morning or so on the 19th, Napoleon goes on toward uh, uh, Philippeville, uh, which is right there by the French border. He gets there at 9 o'clock, meets a few dignitaries, takes a little nap. Uh, people who were there, uh, his, his, uh, <clears throat> his aide, uh, uh, Saint-Denis, called Ali, relates, for example, that Napoleon was, quote, very sad and above all, very much absorbed in thought. So clearly, you know, Napoleon was trying to figure out where to go, what to do, how to deal with this rather revolting element as far as he was concerned. He, he gets up from his nap. He, he finds that other generals have shown up. Uh, uh, his secretary, uh, uh, de Chamboulon, has, has, has arrived. Other staff members are there. He can begin to to organize uh, his, his thoughts, begin to issue orders, uh, create documents, the kind of things that you have to do if you want to try to uh, organize some kind of resistance. So, you know, at uh, Philippeville, which is about 80 kilometers south of Brussels, you know, he's got a real chance to do something there. Uh, a lot of soldiers are, are, are showing up pretty soon. He'll have at least 10,000, uh, 15, 10 to 15,000 men in the area, which, again, would certainly be enough to stop the Prussians in the short term. Uh, and he writes letters to Joseph. He, he, he writes letters to other people. And Can I read the Joseph letter? I can read it for you myself if you like, but go ahead. Would you, would you rather read it? If you've got a handy, go ahead. <laughs> I'll read a bit of it. He says uh, to Joseph, All is not lost. 
I suppose that when I reassemble my forces, I shall have 150,000 men. The Federes and National Guards, such as are fit to fight, will provide 100,000 men, and the regimental depots another 50,000. I shall thus have 300,000 soldiers ready at once to bring against the enemy. I will use carriage horses to drag the guns, raise 100,000 men by conscription, arm them with muskets taken from royalists and from National Guards unfit for service, organise a mass levy in Dauphine and the Lyon district, Burgundy, Lorraine, Champagne, and overwhelm the foe. But people must help me and not deafen me with advice. I'm off to Léon. I am sure to find somebody there. I have heard nothing of Grouchy. If he has not been captured, as I rather fear, that will give me 50,000 men within three days, plenty to keep the enemy occupied and to give Paris and France time to do their duty. The Austrians are slow marchers. The Prussians are afraid of the peasantry and dare not advance too far. There is still time to retrieve the situation. Write and tell me how the chamber has been affected by this disastrous skirmish. I trust the deputies will realise that it is their duty at this crisis to stand by me and to help me to save France. Prepare them to give me worthy support. Above all, steadfastness and courage. So that sounds like the old Napoleon. Well, that certainly is. I mean, it's, it's, it's a very good... Uh... Uh, letter, which I've, I've recently, for, for my next book, had translated with a, a slightly more modern translation and, and, and included it in it. Uh, my next book, if you'll forgive the little plug here, of course, is all about, to a large extent, what the next two or three episodes that we do will be. Napoleon from Waterloo to when he leaves uh, for uh, St. Helena. Uh, and, and a lot of what I'm talking about now and in, in greater detail with, with a lot of other letters and, uh, you know, comments from people who were there. Uh, it's a very, very fascinating, if somewhat poignant, story. Uh, and that, that letter, as you say, is a clear indication that Napoleon has finally recovered to, to some extent, at least, and is now able to think about uh, taking action. And he understood that, that, you know, what he had right now would defeat the Prussians in the short term, but he, he really didn't have forces to hold the main drive that would come after that. So he had to move further into France and probably as far south as, as Paris. Paris was the political center it was also a, a, a pretty good place to set up your final defense. If, if for no other reason than the psychological advantage, you know, people are more excited about defending their fatherland and particularly uh, defending uh, the capital, the, 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 the great capital of, of Paris. Uh, and, uh, you know, with Napoleon there and his army there, the politics presumably uh, Napoleon hoped would fall into place. And starting from Philippeville all the way to now, he begins to use this staff that he finally does have and, and begin to do the kinds of administrative things uh, that he needed to do. He begins to send um, units here, there, and everywhere. For example, General Rapp's Army of the Rhine uh, and other ordered to go by forced marches uh, to Paris. Uh, Marshal Grouchy, uh, orders were sent out, uh, at least, uh, to trying to get to him to come to Elan. Uh, and he's going to flood some of the low areas. He 
tells the people of the frontier fortresses to hold out uh, at all costs, etc. And he talks politics. And it's very clear. Uh, Marchand, for example, his valet writes that, that Napoleon finally has figured out that Fouché is, is not his friend, you know. He's, he, he's let, let Fouché hang around far too long because Fouché was someone he felt he needed and occasionally was very useful. But, of course, Fouché is, 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 is really, you know, uh, being very traitorous back in Paris, and we'll see how that works probably in our next episode. Uh, on the 19th, in the middle of the afternoon, uh, they go toward uh, Leon themselves. Napoleon's back on a, uh, a coach now, uh, and uh, he arrives uh, at uh, Leon on the 20th. So this couple days after Waterloo, uh, his staff, of course, has had to deal with the same kind of, of uh, chaotic uh, return, and, and slowly but surely, as I said, they're catching up to him. A little sip of Earl Grey here. Uh, one of the how's it working out for you, the Earl Grey today, sir? Is it uh, stimulating you sufficiently? Well, I think our listeners will have to determine for themselves uh, <laughs> which form of medication uh, does better uh, for me. Uh, we should create a poll. We we should which 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 medication <laughs> which British Isle magic medication uh, should uh, David Marco uh, stick to? Although. I would feel pretty guilty, uh, particularly since I still have an hour walk to take, uh, if I was drinking my normal medication. It's now 17 minutes after 2 in, in the afternoon. Uh, I think that my, my medical advisors would, would, would not be happy to hear that I was drinking. You know, maybe, maybe each member of the audience should send you a case of which they would prefer you drink, and you, you, know, you can take your time and, and test them all and uh, then come back to us and decide. Now, I do like that idea, I'll, I'll admit. <laughs> oh, here's another idea, just very briefly. Uh, every now and then, I suggest, rather, hopefully, that, that people will, uh, will buy one of my books, and, and some have. One thing you can do, if you just really don't want to do that, but if you'd like to be kind of helpful, uh, you know, I keep track of, and, and uh, Google and others keep track of, uh, how many hits websites have, and it's free to go to a website. So if you have never gone to my website, napoleonichistory.com, if you'd be willing to take a couple of minutes anyway and do that, just to build up the hits, which makes it more likely that people will be directed to it and so on, uh, that would be a, a nice little birthday present to, from, say, 15 or 20,000 of you. Well, anyway, Grouchy, the next big question is, has been, the, 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 the ultimate question from, from Waterloo is, you know, where's Grouchy? And Napoleon really doesn't know where Grouchy is. And Grouchy is critical to the defense of Paris or, for that matter, of France. He had, you know, two corps. He, he's got uh, around 33,000 men. He's got Girard's corps and Van Damme's corps. 33,000 men, about 80 guns. So this is a significant fighting force. Uh, and as, as, as we all know, Grouchy uh, did not show up, didn't march to the sound of the guns. Uh, good friends of mine like uh, Dr. Uh, John Gallagher 
say it wouldn't have mattered, he couldn't possibly have got there in time. Uh, others of us aren't, aren't so sure. Uh, but regardless, the, the one thing is for sure. Number one, uh, actually there's two things. Grouchy had, in fact, had good success fighting some elements of the Prussians at Wavre on the 18th. Of course, he had 33,000 men to 17,000 Prussians and was was really in pretty good shape and probably the next day would have done very well if when the battle continued but you know that's when he thought that Napoleon would have won uh, at uh, at Waterloo when he finds out that Napoleon didn't win well it's time to to begin to withdraw and and he does uh, and and uh, he he begins to move uh, toward Paris, and to give him his due, uh, he keeps his 33,000 men in pretty good order, and he gets down uh, uh, to to uh, Leon. It takes him a while to get there, uh, but he does eventually make it, and and that's uh, obviously good news for uh, for the French and for Napoleon, who now has a significant fighting force and he's got a staff etc so things are looking at least a little bit uh, better and now when he's at Leon we we come to this big decision do you stay with your army or do you go to Paris and there's a lot of debate and there's conflicting evidence as to what his initial thoughts were uh, the process by which he made his decision. Uh, we know some of the people's advice. We don't know everybody's advice. And a lot of folks really urged Napoleon to, to stay with the army. The army had always been his source of strength. Napoleon rose to power because of his military capabilities as much as anything else. Of course, he had all sorts of other capabilities that we talked about at some some length. This is episode 35, after all. Uh, but you know, at, at the at the base of Napoleon's power and 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 glory or whatever was his control of the military. And many people said, "Listen, <clears throat> rally yours, defeat any." Prussians that are coming up early on anyway, organize a defense, and the politics of Paris will take care uh, of itself. And that was an argument that Napoleon seemed to be interested in following. Because Paris, after all, was going to be very tricky. It was, a, as I say in, in my upcoming book, a hotbed of intrigue and factions. And even a masterful politician like Napoleon might not prevail, especially as he was coming from a terrible loss and without his army. Caesar had known better than to return to Rome from Gaul without his army. Napoleon, Caesar's heir as a great commander, should have known better as well. And I, and I think, you know, that's, that's exactly right. Uh, Napoleon, if he's going to go to Paris, should have gone to Paris with his army. Uh, 
he should not have gone where he could be seen as having abandoned his army to save his own political hide in Paris. Uh, and, and uh, you know, even if he's not able to save his own reign, and this is sort of a, a side issue that begins to, to, to move toward the front, are, are we trying here to preserve Napoleon as emperor? Or are we playing a different endgame? Are we saying, okay, Napoleon is finished, but let's make sure that his son, his heir, is able to claim the throne, keep the empire alive, make his son Napoleon II, and have Marie-Louise presumably uh, running the show while he is uh, not uh, of age yet. Okay? And this is what an awful lot of people really think that uh, is, is, is happening, and, and, and I'm not so sure that they're not correct. Now, Napoleon initially at least seems to argue against going to Paris. He, he says, uh, and, uh, and Marchand quotes him as saying, if I return to Paris and dip my hand in blood, I will have to plunge it all the way to the elbow. Well, that's uh, you know, that's a pretty good reason reason not to go, uh, and and it's pretty clear that that Napoleon is is wavering, he's indecisive. The letter that you had had had, had read for us a few moments ago indicated, you know, there's this sentence in there where he tells Joseph that he doesn't want to be deafened by advice. But almost from the very beginning, he is, in fact, being deafened by advice. And his, the advice is all over the map as to what he should or should not do. Uh, it, it appears that Napoleon finally decides that the army is is not in any shape to really oppose the arm to, to oppose the enemy yet that that he can't really do anything in the short term with the army and so uh, decides to go uh, to Paris it, it's hard to say what tipped the balance and it's also of course impossible to say whether or not it was the wrong decision or the correct decision. It didn't work out real well for him, but that doesn't mean that it would have worked out any better had he left Paris to its own devices in the short term, reorganized the army, and then gone down to Paris. It's conceivable that he would have been too late. <laughs> uh, but if, if you want my advice, and indeed even if you don't, I think... Napoleon, as I said a while ago, like Caesar, should have stayed with the army. He would have had a lot better luck rallying his soldiers with his presence than he had rallying the, the two legislative chambers. Uh, if he could have had a, a victory of some kind, like I've suggested he could have against, let's say, a small Prussian advance guard, uh, if he could have found a way to, 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 to kill a few thousand Prussians. And news of this resurgent defense 
coming, you know, back to Paris, that might have been just enough to keep his enemies uh, in Paris at bay, as well as his enemies on the field of battle. And given his brothers and his supporters in Paris enough time to, shall we say, remove Fouché from the picture. Because anyone who reads the story of the next couple of weeks or so knows that the primary player in all of this, the one that really does Napoleon in, is the minister of police, Joseph uh, Fouché. And again, we'll, we'll see at some length how, uh, how that works. But as you said earlier on, after the disaster when he, in 1814 when Joseph basically abandoned Paris to the Allies, uh, do you think that was clear in Napoleon's mind that he had to uh, make sure that he was the guy deciding the, the play in Paris, making sure the, the Allies didn't take it? I mean, if, if the Allies entered Paris, all was lost, right? Well, sure. Uh, I think at this stage, though, Unlike 1814, at this stage, I don't think there's any real likelihood that the Allies are going to get to Paris before Napoleon, because Napoleon is more or less between the Allies and Paris. Now, they, you know, I did look at a map and think about it. Maybe they could have found a way to go around him. Sure, if he sits in Lyon forever, you know, he could lose it. But, but he's got some time. Because remember the. The, the, the Prussians have pursued with, with a few thousand men, but the British and the main Prussian force are still pretty far away. And the closer they get to Paris, the closer the French get to Paris, the more organized they become, the more soldiers they have who have been pushed into some semblance of order. You actually begin to have units with, with, with officers in charge and, and formations. It's possible to, to put some people into uh, the field. But he still needs to move toward Paris eventually, either with his army or without his army. I don't think anyone would realistically argue that he, at this point, should have stayed at Lyon or, or someplace north of Paris. I think he, he had to move to Paris. My big issue with him is that he did not go down there with the army uh, coming down as, as, as commander of a formidable force. Oh, crossing the Rubicon. Uh, well, yeah. Hmm. Uh, but again... It's, it's, it's not even crossing the Rubicon because, you know, to do the, Caesar did that in order to protect himself, but also in order to take power. Uh, Napoleon is, is doing this to, to protect himself, but not necessarily to keep himself in power. Like I say, there's this, there's this other option that, that's beginning to be uh, fairly important uh, Possibly in Napoleon's mind, and certainly in the mind of, of a lot of his supporters, uh, both with him uh, in the north <clears throat> and, and also in Paris itself. And, uh, you know, uh, he, he has to worry about the politics. Fouché uh, writes in his memoirs, 
It was on condition of his coming out of the contest, that would be Waterloo, as a victor, that the Patriots had consented to give him their support. He was vanquished, and they considered the compact at an end. And, and that's a very serious concern. I think Fouché overstates it, as, as of course Fouché would, but it's a serious concern that Napoleon, we have to remember, and I think I talked about this in the lead-up to Waterloo, Napoleon doesn't have the universal support of France when he comes back from Elba. We all know he went through the mountains rather than, you know, up the center because of the, the royalist sentiments. I've told you that the Vendée had been pacified, uh, but only tentatively. There were elements in the south uh, uh, near, near the Spanish border that were just waiting for Napoleon to, to. So, you know, Napoleon doesn't have the universal support that he always had had, or, or not nearly as much at least as he always had had uh, in, in, in the past. And a defeat like this removes the aura of invincibility. Just like going up uh, during the Hundred Days and <clears throat> the march to Paris, Napoleon understood well that he could not fire a shot, never mind be defeated or stopped along the way or, or forced to, to, uh, you know, to, to fight for his forward motion. He couldn't even fire a shot. And if he, if he had to, if there, if there was any kind of a serious skirmish, the, the idea that Napoleon was returning due to the overwhelming desire of the French people to have him come back would be lost. Well, he was very successful at that. He managed to do it brilliantly. It was one of the most brilliant maneuvers you know, in, in, in world history. <clears throat> Something like this has never really been seen before. Well, Waterloo was much the same way. Napoleon cannot lose in this first campaign. He cannot lose. And he, he wins at Ligny. And he can claim a victory at Quatre Bras, even though, as we all know, that was a bit of a disaster thanks to Marshal Ney. <clears throat> but Ligny was a victory. Quatre Bras, at least they held the ground and ended up following the, the British uh, north. So at that point, his political support in Paris is, is pretty good. The news is good. People are, are cheering in the streets when the things are announced, and, and his enemies are, are pretty quiet. But when the word comes down that Napoleon has lost, <coughs> uh, that's a different case. And when the word comes down that Napoleon has lost, the whole political system begins to shift. Had Napoleon been victorious, I think the Allies would have, at the very least, been willing to negotiate a peace with perhaps Napoleon II as emperor and then put Marie-Louise in his regent or, or maybe even one of Napoleon's brothers. And I think that even Fouché for a period of time, thought that was probably the game he ought to play. Now, there's, there's also evidence that 
that, that Fouché really wanted to bring Louis back. It's, you know, you can't always tell, and you certainly can't trust anything that, that Fouché says on that, on that subject. But uh, Napoleon's route at Waterloo changes everything. Now, obviously, the Allies have no reason to bargain with the French at all. Well, they, that's not true. They have some reason. If they, if they bargain with the French for some kind of a peace, that saves lives on all sides, and, and, and that's okay. But, you know, these leaders aren't nearly as worried about the lives of their soldiers as they are about such niceties as getting Louis XVIII uh, back. <clears throat> and at that point, by the way, Waterloo probably made that inevitable. Even something of a draw at Waterloo and Napoleon, you know, a little bit like Eilau, Napoleon might have been able to abdicate later on in favor of his son. Uh, but, you know, once, once the word comes, comes down. Now, you know, on the Waterloo, Paris is just now receiving news of the victory at Ligny. And rumors are flying. You know, the, the, the Prussian army has been destroyed. Uh, the British have retreated. Wellington's been captured or Wellington's been killed. Uh, Blucher has been killed or captured, and of course, as we remember uh, from Ligny, Blucher actually was very, very nearly captured. Uh, victory at Waterloo, the the, the peace in the Vendee, etc. National pride and unity would be restored. Uh, even the people in the chambers, the, the 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 two legislative bodies, would would shut up. In fact, they were. They were saying nice things about him. Uh, they, they wrote a, a letter of congratulations, uh, saying such things that, you know, even if you had been defeated, you would have still had our universal support. Yeah, yeah, right. Because within two days, the bad news comes south. And Joseph uh, receives the letter that you read. He calls a meeting of the Council of Ministers, reads them the letter, uh, and uh, the ministers told Joseph, as far as they were concerned, the emperor, Napoleon, should stay, at least for now, with his soldiers. Uh, and they sent a message uh, telling him, this is our advice, sir, is to, is to stay where you are, you know, organize the soldiers. Don't, don't come down here on your own. But it didn't take long uh, for the bad news to hit the streets. And by the end of the day, as they say, uh, Paris was all abuzz with the news of the, of the disaster. Uh, and, you know, people were proposing everything from defending Paris to the last man, of demanding Napoleon's abdication, bringing in his son, bringing in uh, Louis XVIII. Uh, you know, there was just all sorts of possibilities uh, to be had. And, of course, the person who was most able to move quickly was Joseph Fouché. <clears throat> Fouché had been anticipating that Napoleon would be, would be ultimately defeated, uh, but he didn't expect it to happen so quickly. It left no time for Fouché to, you know, make the kind of plans that, that he had made. So he quickly moves to preserve 
his own position and to uh, probably begin to lean toward the restoration of the Bourbons, in spite of the fact that the people didn't want them now in 1815 any more than they wanted uh, them then. Uh, but that's probably where Napoleon is, uh, where, where Fouché, rather, is, is, is heading with this. So we will, we will leave with Fouché trying to decide how to deal with this new situation. At the beginning of our next episode, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about some of Fouché's options, and then we will talk about Napoleon's arrival in France, or rather, excuse me, in Paris, and the political dance that will begin. Amen.